Russian President Vladimir Putin called the U.S. dollar's drop in dominance, quote, objective and irreversible during the recent BRICS summit in South Africa, as Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa formally agreed to use local currencies instead of the U.S. dollar. It's the first shoe to drop. As demand for the dollar weakens, the buying power of the dollar also weakens. That's why Birch Gold Group is busier than ever. Investors and savers are looking to harness the power of physical gold held in a tax-sheltered IRA. Text MONICA to 989-898 for your free info kit on gold. Thousands of happy customers, an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, and countless five-star reviews, you can count on Birch Gold to help you navigate transitioning an existing IRA or 401k into an IRA in gold. As the U.S. dollar continues to receive pressure from foreign countries, digital currency, and central banks, arm yourself with information on how to protect your savings. Just text MONICA to 989-898 to claim your free info kit from Birch Gold Group right now. Hey guys, I'm Monica Crowley and this is the Monica Crowley Podcast. Thanks so much for joining me here on this Monday as we kick off a brand new week in the hellscape known as Biden's America. This is your go-to for hot liberty, a safe space for all of us thought criminals, independent thinkers, and happy warriors. Please follow me on social media. My Instagram account is at Monica Crowley underscore at Monica Crowley underscore. And my Twitter and true social accounts are at Monica Crowley. You can also send me an email about this show to Monica Crowley podcast at gmail.com. Monica Crowley podcast at gmail.com. And as always, we will have some of your great emails at the end of the show. So keep them coming because I read them all, I see them all, and I appreciate them all. Well, today I want to talk about the president and not just Joe Biden, any president and what he represents and why it matters. It's a really important subject, which very few people talk about. But as you know, I am a student of history. I am a student of the presidency. I've been blessed to work for two American presidents, Richard Nixon and Donald Trump, uh, at the Treasury Department. And I will tell you that there is heavy symbolism that goes along with the American president. And nobody wants to talk about it, but it's especially important right now. And I am going to talk about it here in a moment. Also today, a really big interview with Bill O'Reilly. He will be here and we will talk about what in Sam Hill is going on in America today and what the future might look like. It's pretty grim. I wonder if O'Reilly has a different assessment. We're going to talk to him. We're also going to talk to him about his latest book, which is called Killing the Killers about our fight against global terrorists over the past two decades. It's a fascinating book, and it's going to be a really interesting conversation. So sit tight for that. Plus, as I mentioned, your emails all straight ahead. But first, the Monica Memo. 
We can expect really big Supreme Court rulings this week as their term ends. They've announced that they're going to be releasing uh, rulings tomorrow and Thursday. More decisions coming down, particularly on the biggies on guns and abortion. Now, don't get too excited. Remember, I, I, I hate to be a Debbie Downer because I am naturally an optimist. I'm naturally a glass half full kind of girl. But as I said to you when we were talking about the Michael Sussman case, which was the first real case that John Durham has brought to trial, remember, I kept telling you, lower your expectations. And I'm sorry to have to say that. I wish we lived in a country where the rule of law and the Constitution were clear and abided by, even by the nation's top court and by juries around the country and so on. But it's just not the case. Not today. It's not the case. So while I hate to be the bearer of bad news or to be a bummer, I do want to warn you not to get too excited here because we got this leaked draft on the Roe versus Wade decision, remember a couple of weeks ago, and all hell broke loose. Well, now there's some reporting that John Roberts, oh yes, our illustrious chief justice, who always finds a way to screw things up, we're now getting some reports that John Roberts uh, might be seeking to water down the Roe v. Wade decision. So it may not be a clear-cut overturning of Roe v. Wade, sending it back to the states, but it might be some sort of watered-down compromise that John Roberts has negotiated. I would not be surprised. Okay, I just, I wouldn't. This is John Roberts' MO. His whole MO is... We've got to preserve the viability and respectability and integrity of the Supreme Court. And he thinks that doing that involves watering down the Constitution and the rule of law. He thinks preserving that institution, which has already been damaged, but he thinks that it's it's negotiating these crazy compromises like uh, on Obamacare or whatever he did. And so I would just say, as we look ahead to these big decisions on guns and abortion, that we keep our expectations in check, as I advised you to do on the Michael Sussman case and anything else that comes before the court or before juries, especially in left-wing institutions or left-wing areas like Washington, D.C., you know, if if John Roberts really wanted to preserve the integrity of the court, he should be directly following the Constitution and the law. So we will see on these major cases this week, and we will be all over it. So you're going to want to tune in on Wednesday and Friday uh, as we get these big decisions. Okay, switching gears here. Joe Biden went on another vacation this weekend to his beach house in Rehoboth Beach, which obviously was paid for with the Biden crime family's ill-gotten gains from places like China, Ukraine, and Russia, and God knows where else. Because there is no way he could have afforded these joints on a senator's salary. Enter Hunter Biden and Joe's brother Jim and the rest of the corrupt bunch who just shook down these governments, sold influence, sold access to their father, who was a senator and then vice president, and God knows what's happening now that he's president. 
right? So I think the Bidens have three spectacular homes, including this beach house where Biden was over the weekend. Biden has now spent more time away from the White House than in it. Every single weekend, almost, almost every weekend, he's either in his regular house in Delaware or he's at his beach house in Rehoboth. You know, they say that with the elderly and people with dementia, that you're supposed to keep them in a place that's familiar to them. You've got to keep their surroundings stable and consistent so as not to exacerbate any confusion from which they might already be suffering. You want to keep their environment familiar and steady. Maybe that's why they take him out of the White House and back to Delaware every weekend to give him a sense of rhythm with some familiarity. I don't know. I'm just speculating here, but I don't think it's just a matter of, hey, he likes it better at home. Maybe, but I don't think so. You don't work your entire life to get to the presidency only to hightail it out of the White House every chance you get. I'm just saying. Once in a while, he goes to Camp David for the weekend. I understand the desire to want to leave on the weekend, but most of the time he's home in Delaware. And I just think there's something more to this than meets the eye. On top of it, you know, the White House refuses to release Biden's visitor logs when he's at home in Delaware at one of his multiple houses. They won't do it. They won't tell us who he's talking to, who is coming to see him. So here are some questions. Who is coming to see him? What are they discussing? How long are these visitors staying? Is money changing hands? Is there a promise of money? Are people lobbying him? Is he changing policy as a result of these conversations? Who else is in the room with Biden and these people? Are doctors coming to see him? Is he being treated for anything? We don't know because they won't tell us. Trump had to account for every second, literally every second. But Biden can disappear for days on end and that's fine. No one in the press raises even the slightest concern about this. As I said to you, you know, when I was working at the Treasury Department, Secretary Mnuchin could barely sneeze. Every department has their own press corps, so Treasury had a little press corps. You know, reporters from the New York Times, the Washington Post, Politico, who cover the department and the issues that the department deals with. So Mnuchin would like sneeze and immediately, like within 30 minutes, I'd get like 18 emails. Oh, we heard Secretary Mnuchin sneezed. Where did he sneeze? How long was the sneeze? Did he need a Kleenex? Is he seeing a doctor? Does he have COVID? Does he have COVID and you're not telling us? I'm telling you, I'm really not exaggerating here. Maybe a little bit, but not by much. This is what it was. And you can forget about, I mean, when Trump, Trump, you know, (laughs) it's just, Trump could not disappear for two seconds without the press going wild and saying, oh, he's dying or he's, what is he doing? He's talking to the Ukrainians. He's got to be impeached for talking for five minutes to the Ukrainian president. I mean, 
the, the press does not even raise the slightest worry or question about what Biden is doing on these weekends. This is not hypocrisy, it's hierarchy. Let me say that again. This is not hypocrisy. You hear a lot of people, oh, they're so hypocritical. Well, yeah, but they don't care, and so no one cares about the hypocrisy. This is hierarchy. The people at the top of the power structure get away with bloody murder, and the rest of us suffer. So this past weekend, Grandpa Dementia was at his beach house, and he decides to take a bike ride. Now, I know he enjoys his bike ride, but, you know, the man is ancient. Isn't anyone afraid he's going to, like, fall off and break a hip? If not, they should be. And also, by the way, they stage these photo ops to make you forget that he's ancient. Anyway, Gramps takes off on the bike. He sees some supporters, so he pedals on over and promptly falls off and to the ground. Just, boom, eats the pavement. He got up. He said he was okay. But this episode points to a couple of things that are bigger here in the scope of things. First of all, what happened over the weekend is a metaphor for his collapsing presidency and imploding economy. These issues are so critical and they're blowing them off because it's all intentional. But these images stay with a president forever. Remember Jimmy Carter with the bunny? There was a bunny rabbit and he was worried about it and freaked out. And that, that like symbolized Carter's weakness. And then, of course, there was Michael Dukakis during the campaign. Was it 84, 88? And he was photographed in a tank wearing this huge helmet, which overwhelmed him, and he looked so weak. Images like this stick with presidents. They stick with candidates, and they become symbols of who they are and whatever leadership they're engaged in or whatever leadership they're promising. So this photograph of him falling off the bike is a metaphor for him, for his presidency, for the economy, for our foreign policy, for all of it. Second, what happened this weekend raises a different kind of symbolism. The president of the United States embodies a few critical things. The president is a father figure. George Washington, father of the nation, it started with him and it goes all the way through to this joke of a president we have now. The office of the president is an office for a father figure. The presidency is paternal. Sorry, Mrs. Clinton, but it is. The country needs and wants a strong daddy with a strong sense of discipline and leadership. What the head of a family is, and that's what the head of the country should be. Disciplining squabbling children, using a firm hand when necessary, and offering tough love leadership. That's what a good father offers, and we just had Father's Day yesterday, and that's what a good president offers. A president is also a symbol of American strength. That shows in his physical presence, the way he carries himself, the way he speaks, the way he moves, his confidence, swagger, character, all reflections of where the country is. 
think George Washington astride his horse, a commanding presence. Abraham Lincoln, tall, with an even taller hat, a commanding presence. Teddy Roosevelt, who was big in every way, a commanding presence. JFK, elegant and smooth. Ronald Reagan, charming but tough. Donald Trump, a prize fighter. They reflected American strength in their very beings. Then think of the wimps on the other side. James Buchanan before the Civil War. Jimmy Carter. George H.W. Bush. Barack Obama. They reflected real weakness. They embodied a weak America. And the country fell apart under them. No big surprise here. The president is a very important symbol And the best presidents have understood that in the way they dress, the way they carry themselves. This is why most presidents have been tall. We've had a couple of short ones. That's fine. Can't control that. But when the American people go to elect a leader, again, they're electing a daddy figure, and most presidents have been physically tall. So, again, the president is a very critical symbol. We have survived the weaklings, but barely. So when Biden is frail and flailing, wandering around aimlessly, can't form a coherent thought, slurs his way through statements, appears overwhelmed most of the time, the symbol of America is exactly that. It's decrepit, weak, old, feeble, ripe to be taken advantage of. It's a primal thing. You know, when an elderly loved one gets bad, they will go into a nursing home. Our president belongs in one, but instead he's putting the entire country into a nursing home. Okay, when we come back, Bill O'Reilly is going to join me. We're going to talk about all of this, plus his brand new book. So sit tight. Okay, everybody, listen up. We all want to be healthier, right? Well, to get there, we have to have a healthier diet, which is not always easy to do. I can attest to that. You know, that shredded lettuce in a double-double and the fruit filling in a donut are amazing, but they do not count toward the recommended five servings of fruits and vegetables a day. Sorry to be the one to break it to you, but they don't. I don't always eat healthy either, but I will share that the Mayo Clinic says if you want to help prevent heart disease, lower blood pressure, and cholesterol, eat five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. I don't, and you probably won't. That's why I take Field of Greens. Unlike other supplements, each fruit and each vegetable in Field of Greens was medically selected by doctors to support your vital organs, like the heart, lungs, kidneys, and the immune system. Flu season is here, and I trust Field of Greens to help me stay healthy. Field of Greens works fast and tastes so good. It's really delicious, guys, and you'll feel better with more energy And you'll notice your skin, hair, and nails will look healthier too. I certainly noticed that in me since I started taking Field of Greens. If you don't always eat right and exercise, join me 
and take Field of Greens. Let me get you started with 15% off your first order. Visit fieldofgreens.com and use promo code MONICA. That's promo code MONICA at fieldofgreens.com, fieldofgreens.com. Okay, guys, I told you we have a really big guest today, and I wasn't kidding. It's my pleasure to welcome the one and only Bill O'Reilly, who needs no introduction, but I will say you've got to be watching him on the No Spin News. Find it and so much more at BillOReilly.com. You can go there, become a premium member if you aren't one already. You should be. And you'll get all of the goodies if you're a premium member. But check out BillOReilly.com. There's a ton of fantastic stuff up there. Bill's brand new book is out, and it is a sensation. Number one, again, I think this is his 17th bestseller. It's the latest in his killing series, and it's called Killing the Killers, The Secret War Against Terrorists, and it's available everywhere. Bill, welcome. Hey, Monica, thanks for filling in for me a couple of weeks ago on the No Spin News on BillOReilly.com. You are our number one fill-in when I'm incoherent, which is, you know, (laughs) a few days a week. (laughs) I don't think so, Bill, but thank you for inviting me to sit in for you on the No Spin News at BillOReilly.com. It was a fantastic time. I had a ball, and your audience is just as spectacular as ever. Thank you, Monica. Well, I enjoy talking to you as always, and I wanted to have you on today to talk about the book, which we are going to get into. But first, I got to ask you about Joe Biden, because the, the country is imploding. You wrote a fantastic column about it over the weekend called It's a Mad, Mad, Mad World. Uh, I encourage everybody to go look at that column. The country is falling apart. The economy is collapsing. And Biden falls off his bike this weekend, which is just a perfect metaphor for what we're all going through. Is this the worst that you have ever seen it for America? In my lifetime, Joe Biden is performing uh, the worst I've ever seen a chief executive. Um, I mean, you work for Richard Nixon and you know he was an efficient bureaucrat while he was commander in chief, even though he got caught up in this uh, Watergate thing that led to his demise. But as far as competence is concerned, you know, Jimmy Carter was pretty bad and Americans rebelled against him in 1980. Uh, But I think Biden's worse Um, because Biden does not live in the same world as working Americans. And that's frightening to me. So he's in a totally disassociated place. Whereas Carter, he knew that things were going south because obviously there were gas lines. He couldn't rescue the hostages out of Iran. He came across as very weak. But Biden... If you were to sit down and talk with him, and he doesn't obviously put himself out to talk with many people, um, he would say, look, no, 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 all of this, we we have it under control, we're going to come back, and I'm doing a great job, and it's Putin's fault, it's Trump's fault, it's the big oil company's fault, everybody's fault but mine, and he believes that. that, A lot of people say, well, he's lying. He's delusional, Monica, in my opinion, 
And that is very dangerous for this country. Mm -hmm. You know, it's interesting, Bill, because I'm thinking about all the times that I've been on TV and radio with you over the years. And I I remember during the Obama years where Joe Biden was the vice president. And I remember you and I used to have these debates because I used to say to you, um, O'Reilly, everything Obama is doing is deliberate. This is an intentional takedown of the country. This is basically a Marxist revolution. They've dressed it up pretty well. Um, and Obama is a smooth talker. And you used to say to me, Crowley, you're crazy. This is not, this is just incompetence. I, I think I've been vindicated, O'Reilly. And I think now when you look at Biden and the team around him, I mean, that guy is just out to lunch. He's just the tool they're using. But they are leveraging COVID. They're leveraging a weakening economy, which they're all doing on purpose, in order to affect what Obama once called the fundamental transformation of the nation. I think that's exactly what's going on. And I think more and more Americans now get it. But Joe Biden doesn't get it. He doesn't understand what the progressive movement, which is what you're referring to here, um, wants. He doesn't, he doesn't know what Susan Rice, one of his top advisors, is really all about. Now, when you and I debated Barack Obama, uh, and I still hold this opinion, I always knew that Obama wanted a quasi-socialistic system to um, redress the grievances of black Americans and other minorities. And, And that was driven by his wife, Michelle. We agreed there. But do I think Barack Obama is a Marxist? No. I don't. I could be wrong, but he wanted income redistribution. That was what Obamacare was all about. That's what his big thing was. So the government will be powerful enough to give the folks who have been persecuted, this is Barack Obama's thinking, as much as we can give them. But he didn't want to break down the capitalistic society. He didn't want private companies to be under uh, the thumb of a strong central government. He just wanted to take, it was all about tax money for Barack Obama. Now we have a cadre around Joe Biden. And again, Biden does not understand any of this. The only reason that he was selected as vice president for Barack Obama was because he had very good contacts in the Senate. And Obama knew to get legislation passed like Obamacare, he would have to get senators on board from the other party. Now, it wasn't very successful, but that's why he he chose Biden. Biden had no power ever. And as as we write, and we'll discuss in a moment on killing the killers, Biden was the only cabinet member that told Obama, don't go after bin Laden in Pakistan. Mm -hmm. The only one who did it. Mm -hmm. And what Obama said, do you think Obama listened to him? No. (laughs) Listen to Biden. Nobody listens to Joe Biden. Not even now. So what... What we have now is a president who's diminished mentally. He was never a bright bulb anyway. (laughs) Uh, He's a man of no seasons, I call him. He has no beliefs, no core beliefs at all. He's changed every single one of them. He doesn't stand for anything. And these people, these policy apparatchiks like Rice, like Ron Klain, like John Kerry, they tell Biden what to do. 
Yes. It's a disaster. Yes. That's where we agree, O'Reilly. I mean, Biden is just, he he's the useful idiot that they are using. I think where we disagree is on Obama and then the crowd around him. Obama was raised by communists. I, I look at this as this is a neo-communist movement that they've dressed up pretty well. And it's, it's cultural Marxism, it's economic Marxism. And, uh, you know, Biden is just the tool they're using to leverage it. But I do agree with you that Joe Biden was always a hack and a jerk. And now he's a hack and a jerk with dementia. So he's been, you know, he's been pretty useful for these darker forces throughout his presidency. But now it looks like he's outlived his usefulness. And there's all this discussion now about uh, that he can't run in 24. And how are we going to get rid of him? Do you think he's going to be the candidate in 24? No, no, I said that months ago. There's no way he's through as a uh, public figure in the sense that Americans have turned on him and it's going to get worse between now and November as people go deeper into debt. So Joe Biden's finished. He can't come back. His after 18 months, his administration is a failure. That's how it'll go down in history. And I would not be surprised. And I said that this week on the No Spin News, if he resigns next year. Mm-hmm. So they've got to hold him until the midterms. And then I believe that Republicans will take both houses. Um, and then that's it for Joe Biden and never get anything done. And all his executive orders would be challenged in federal court as soon as he signs them. So he's, you know, they say lame duck. He's a dead duck. <laughs> no lame about it. Yeah. All right. He's done. He sits in the Oval Office. So the Democratic Party then has to say, OK, we got to get him out because he's tainting the party. Mm-hmm. And so don't be surprised this time next year to see the headline, Joe Biden resigns over health reasons. Yes, you and I completely yeah. agree on that. Right. That would not be a surprise to me or you. Now, they say, well, Kamala Harris would be worse. It doesn't matter because she's just a placeholder. She's not going to get the nomination in 24, but to get Biden out of there is very important for the Democratic Party at this point. So let's say, O'Reilly, that your theory and my theory about this, that this is likely to go down, um, is correct. And they bump up Kamala to the presidency. And now the Democrats can say, see, our party put up the first woman of color as the president of the United States. She's a total mess. So she is obviously not going to be the nominee, as you say. So then what do they do? Who do you see on the Democratic landscape who can run and win the Democratic nomination? The only one who could beat a Republican in 24, as things stand now, is Michelle Obama. Correct. That, that's correct. They don't have, that's correct. They don't have anybody else. That's right. right. And, you know, I said this at CPAC back in March in front of the the huge CPAC audience. I said it, and there was an audible gasp from the audience when I said Michelle is the only one who can defeat any Republican, Trump, DeSantis, you name it. And the audience didn't want to hear it. And I said, well, don't shoot the messenger, but it does us no good to live in denial. We've got to be prepared for the worst case scenario. And I think, at least from my side, the worst case scenario is Michelle. Well, look, let's put politics aside and look at who has the potential of being president. 
So you have Donald Trump, and he's probably going to run again. You have DeSantis in Florida. He would be the second if Trump doesn't run, both of whom could get elected, you know, in 2024. Yes. Okay. Now, after that, then it's wild card bill. You got um, the senator from South Carolina, uh, Tim, uh, help me with Tim Scott here. Tim Scott. Tim Scott. Thank you. Uh, you got a few governors around on the Republican side. Um, but after DeSantis and Trump falls off pretty hard because Americans don't know them. They just don't have the ID. There's no way Nikki Haley gets it. Christy Noem, the governor of South Dakota, is not gonna, that's not going to happen. So it's a narrow field. On the Democratic side, there isn't anyone other than Michelle Obama. Now, I don't know whether that woman wants to put herself through what would be probably the most vicious campaign in U.S. history. Worse than Adams versus Jefferson way back in <laughs> yeah. the early part of the 19th century. It would be so vicious. It would be beyond belief vicious. Does Michelle Obama want to go through that? I can't answer the question. Yeah, it's interesting because a lot of people say, well, they're making a lot of money now. She's not really political. She's very political. So let, oh, yeah. let's see. We'll see. Okay, Bill, hang tight. We've got more with Bill O'Reilly on the other side of the break. We're going to get into his brand new book, another number one sensation called Killing the Killers, The Secret War Against Terrorists. Before we hit this quick break, I just want to take a moment to welcome a great new sponsor, Birch Gold Group. You know, you hear me talk a lot about the weakening economy. It actually shrank in the first quarter by negative 1.5%. And of course, skyrocketing inflation. We just got the latest inflation numbers and they are at 40-year highs. And then you look at the stock market, Amazon down 37% in the first half of this year, Tesla down 40%, crypto's getting slammed, and a lot of people are worried that the hawkish moves by the Fed could stall the economy. So what's your plan? You better have one. Now might be a good time for you to diversify into gold, the most stable asset in the history of the world. And Birch Gold Group is the company I trust to help you convert an IRA or 401k into an IRA in gold and silver. Text Monica to 989-898 and get your free no obligation info kit on gold from Birch Gold Group. They are the precious metals professionals I trust. Text MONICA to 989-898 and secure your savings now. To help secure your future and your family's future, text MONICA to 989-898 right now. More with Bill O'Reilly. Sit tight. Okay, we are back and I'm rejoined by my friend, Bill O'Reilly, whose brand new book is called Killing the Killers, The Secret War Against Terrorists. Okay, Bill, this book is absolutely phenomenal, and it takes the reader deep into the war on terror. You've done so many books in this killing series, all outstanding. Why did you decide to write about this war that's been going on now for over 20 years? Well, Killing the Killers is the 18th number one bestseller I've had, which is a world record, by the way, for nonfiction. And I told my kids on Father's Day, I said, you are dining with the most successful nonfiction author of all time. <laughs> were they, understand were they impressed? Were they impressed? No. <laughs> no, they wanted another appetizer. <laughs> no, they don't care. 
<laughs> um, so this is the first contemporized killing bug. All the other, all 10 past ones, this is the 11th, dealt with historical things that we've heard about, but we really didn't understand the big picture, and that's what I do. But the war on terror is underway now. It's going on now, and Americans don't know it. So as a reporter, that's always my main goal, to tell people stuff they don't know. So there are ground forces, U.S. ground forces, special forces in Africa today fighting ISIS on the ground. Nobody knows that because all of this is classified information. So what I was able to do was I, I contacted uh, most of the national security advisors from President Bush all the way up to the end of Trump and asked them to cooperate with me on background and tell me exactly what happened in the war on terror, which they all did, even the people in the Obama administration. They gave me classified information. The deal was, this is background. I'm not going to quote you, not going to name you. They gave me the information. Now, unlike most other authors, I then verified the information they gave me. I just didn't print it. So they would tell me things, and of course, I didn't know any of this. How would I? It's classified. So then we went to the people who were involved in the bin Laden raid, the al-Baghdadi raid, the takeout of Soleimani, the African campaign. And we said, is this right? And they said, yeah. And then I printed it. So when you read Killing the Killers, every page, and you know this, and I thank you very much for reading it. Most uh, journalists these days don't. They just ask questions they don't really know what they're asking about, but you do. Uh, every page will have something going, I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. That's pretty stunning. And then we tell it in the killing style, which is like, you pick up the book, you're not going to be able to put it down. Oh, yeah. It's a real page turner. You guys, it reads like a novel, but it's real life and it's life and death. This is how O'Reilly writes all of his books. But this one, as, as Bill says, is going on today. So it gives it a real sense of urgency that maybe the other books don't have because they're more historical in orientation. This one is absolutely a page turner and you're not going to sleep because you'll go, if you go to bed with the book, you're not going to sleep all night because it's just incredible. So Bill, since 9-11, we've had four presidents prosecute this war, Bush 43, Obama, Trump, and now Biden. In your estimation, who did the most effective job and who's done the worst job? Trump, Biden. So Trump, the reason that he was so uh, effective in the war on terror is that he didn't micromanage it. He basically let the CIA and the NSA, NSA surveillance, CIA uh, on the ground, overseas violence. CIA directs the violence against our enemies, our terror enemies, the jihadists. NSA surveils. They get the information and pass it along to CIA. Trump stayed out of it. Okay, so he got an intel briefing every day and the guys would walk in and they say, look, we need to do this. And Trump said, do it. So under under Obama, ISIS took over half of Iraq, half mm -hmm. the country and a lot of northern Syria. It was an embarrassment. Mm -hmm. And Obama was very embarrassed. The last two years of his administration, he became a terror warrior. He launched a lot of drone Hellfire missile strikes. Obama did. But. ISIS was still there. And then when Trump came in, ISIS, 
wiped out ISIS. Incredible achievement that Trump himself doesn't even tout very much. Right. Why do you, why do you think that is? That out. I don't know. I have no idea. I mean, try to figure out Donald Trump's mind. <laughs> I, I mean, come on. <laughs> so anyway, Biden then comes in. The one thing that he did do was he didn't dismantle the Trump team in the CIA and NSA, kept them. But what he did do, and we all saw in Afghanistan, because Biden doesn't understand, as we discussed in your first segment, he doesn't understand cause and effect. If I, the president, do this, what's going to happen? He doesn't understand that, which is frightening for the American people. So he withdraws from Afghanistan, and it's a debacle, a historical debacle, because all the terrorists he let out of prison they scatter all over the place. Al Qaeda is reconstituting in Afghanistan. ISIS reconstituting in Iraq right now. And then he opens the borders. Mm-hmm. So the terrorists from all over the world can just sashay right on across and get in here. Yep. I mean, this is unbelievable. Yep. It hasn't hit us yet, but it will. It, it will. It really. It, there was a report just last week that oh, over the course of one week, 15 identifiable terrorists on the terrorist watch list came across the border that were apprehended. How many came across that we don't know How about? Many got in. Right. Yeah, of course. So Trump was the best, Biden the worst. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're reading this book, Bill, what's what really jumps out at me, and you, you talk about the famous raid on Osama bin Laden, but also, as you say, al-Baghdadi, Soleimani, and so on, who have been taken out. But what's amazing to me is how successful these operations were, given how many things that can go wrong in operations of such sensitivity and scope, the fact that they were all successful in this way. You know, you think back to Jimmy Carter when he tried to go in and and get our hostages out of Iran and they they literally crashed and burned. A million things can happen to make these things go off the rails. And yet all of these raids were successful. Yes, uh, except for the Biden retaliation in uh, Afghanistan when 13 U.S. service people were killed by the terrorists that Biden let out. And then they retaliated and killed innocent civilians. You remember that. Mm -hmm. So the reason that the United States is uh, successful and winning the war on terror as far as downgrading the enemy is because we've had 21 years of experience now. So at 9-11, we didn't know what we were doing. Now we do. And the surveillance capacity of the United States, after this interview, Monica, if you were to make a call to Abbottabad, Pakistan, where Obama, uh, I'm sorry, where bin Laden was hiding, uh, they would pick that call up. They, the NSA. So if you call uh, an area where terrorists are, the American government will surveil that call. It's got to be overseas, can't be inside. But they do an amazing job of intercepting this stuff. And then the weaponry that we have in space, and remember, Trump spent $1.4 trillion upgrading the military. Nobody knows where that money went. A lot of it went to space weaponry that Russia and China don't have. And when you see what happened in killing the killers to Soleimani and how they took him out, it's amazing. And then the final component is special forces, U.S. special forces, best in the world. I mean, these guys are disciplined. They're motivated. Uh, They're trained. You couldn't be better trained than they are. 
And that's who's fighting the war on the ground, all special forces. So you combine all of that and you have a really fierce um, fighting component against the terrorists. And that's what Killing the Killers is all about. We lay it out for you. Absolutely. It's so brilliant. You know, final question on this, uh, Bill, is about this book and, and all, everything you deconstruct in the book about the, the operations that we've engaged in, all of these terrorist organizations still exist. Al-Qaeda, ISIS, the Iranian Revolutionary Guard, they did suffer severe damage when they lost these leaders. But what do you think their status is now? Because there are reports that, that they're reconstituting themselves. And of course, Team Biden will not push back. Well, I don't know if that's fair, because, as I said, the Trump people are still in place in the CIA and the NSA, and they are targeting the jihadists. In fact, Biden made an announcement about two months ago that they whacked some guy. Nobody ever heard of him, but they got him. So I think that the the U.S. government is still waging this war aggressively. But the uh, inability of the Biden administration to um, make good deals has led to al-Qaeda. They are in northeastern Afghanistan pretty much unopposed. So they're recruiting on the internet. They're arming themselves. Um, People send them money. And they have a sanctuary there. ISIS is back in western Iraq. And, you know, the United States is after them, but they're there. But mainly the ISIS forces are in Africa, which is chaos from top to bottom. Governments there are so weak that the ISIS forces can do what they want. So that's why Americans need to know that this war on terror is still in play every day. And let's just pray that it doesn't come back here for another 9-11. Right, exactly. Well, last question for you, O'Reilly. The future looks pretty bleak. Any words of hope for us? You know, it's, uh, if you are a historian like I am, uh, the United States goes in cycles, it goes up goes down, high, low. This low cycle under Biden happened so fast that people are stunned. And, you know, my reportage is, look, the nation made a mistake by voting on a motion. So Trump did a pretty darn good job with the economy and national defense, stopped the migrants coming across the border, mostly, and then you throw them out of office. And you did it because you don't like his hair or the way he speaks or his arrogance or whatever it is you don't like. You threw the man out after he did a good job for four years and you put in an incompetent who, as you said, has always been an incompetent. He's never been a visionary or a politician that has helped this country ever. So this was a mistake, a mass mistake on the part of the American people. Had to happen, by the way, Monica, in order for the progressive movement to be crushed. Mm -hmm. Because as Biden goes down, so does the progressive movement around him. And that was gaining in power. Now it is not. So I'm not pessimistic about the future of the United States. I think people have learned a hard lesson. And I hope they don't forget it. Amen to that. The book is called Killing the Killers. It is absolutely sensational. You will not be able to put it down. Go get it right now. Go also check out BillOReilly.com. Become a premium member. Watch the No Spin News. It's just dynamite. Bill O'Reilly, everyone. Bill, thank you so much.
What a show today, huh? What a great way to kick off your week. Big, big, big show. All right, time now for your emails. You know, we've got a segment on the show called the Complaint Department. So you are going to want to send me your pet peeves to Monica Crowley Podcast at gmail.com. Amy has a pet peeve for our complaint department. Hi, Monica. Thank you for your podcast. Hi, Monica. Thank you for your podcast. The original music was fine. The new music is also fine. I listened to your podcast for the content, which is spot on. Well, thank you very much, Amy. I'm so glad you're enjoying it. Amy goes on, just one of my thousands of pet peeves. Amy, if you've got thousands of pet peeves, I want to hear all about them. Send me more to Monica Crowley podcast at gmail.com. Here's Amy's first one. People who mix up Calvary versus cavalry, two very different words. Keep up the great work, Monica. (laughs) Well, I agree, Amy, and it is a pet peeve, although I must plead guilty to also screwing those two words up once in a while. I know they are different words with very different meanings, but sometimes the mouth doesn't work the way it's supposed to. (laughs) So, Amy, that is a very good one. And like I said, if you've got thousands of pet peeves, I want to hear all of them. (laughs) So send them to me. All right. And Baja Mama, which is a great handle, Baja Mama writes, Monica, how about joining Rumble with your podcast so we can see you? Love your podcast, Monica. Well, thank you very much, Baja Mama. Maybe video at some point. We shall see. In the meantime, I'm on Fox all the time, so you can see me there and Fox Business. And I really appreciate your listening to this podcast. Thank you. We are building a community here. And I hear from a lot of you guys that you're loving this podcast, and I so appreciate that. And a lot of you will say to me in your emails that you enjoy the podcast because you like knowing you're not alone that you're not alone in this country or in the rest of the world where you're out there believing in freedom and just seeing the incredible destruction going on and the tremendous wreckage at the hands of irresponsible leaders who are obsessed with ushering in the Great Reset, communism, Maoism, uh, into the West and certainly into the United States, which is the biggest of them all. If they flip this country, they have the world and they know it. That's why they're so focused on the United States. But I hear from a lot of you when you're, when the, you're, when you're thanking me for this podcast, um, you know, you're saying it really means a lot to you that, uh, that my voice is here, but that I'm reading your emails and you're not alone. This show, this Monica Crowley podcast is a community. Like I say at the top for us uh, independent thinkers and thought criminals and happy warriors. This is where you can come. This is our safe space. It's your go-to for hot liberty. But just know you are not alone. I am here always, and this community of your fellow listeners is here as well. And we're going to win. But we all have to stick together, support each other, and continue the fight. That's what this podcast is all about. So, Baha Mama. 
Thank you very much. And thanks to all of you. That's going to do it for me today. We've got a big week of Supreme Court decisions coming up. So you're going to want to join us on Wednesday and Friday this week and always because we're going to be all over it. All right. I will see you on Wednesday. Have a great beginning of your week. God bless.